That's it when we looked at uh, 2 Timothy 1, that uh, 2 Timothy is really, uh, I wouldn't say my favourite, but uh, a passage of scripture that I, I really do love. Because here you have Paul in his maturity, it seems at the very end of his life, and he's writing out of his own pain and human fear of the end, he's taken time to write and strengthen Timothy, who it seems is in some kind of uh, spiritual midlife crisis. So we come on here to 2 Timothy 2, and he says, Thou therefore, you therefore, my child, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he, he said that uh, Timothy believes, he says in 2 Timothy 1, as uh, we saw in the study on that, that he thanks God every day for the unfeigned faith that is in Timothy. And yet he does go on to comment, verse 7 of chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, of timidity, but of power and love and of a disciplined mind. And so Timothy was, it seems, somewhat a drawing back. And he'd probably been, uh, been converted for, who knows, quite a, quite a number of, of years, maybe as many as 20, 25 years since his baptism now, and Paul's writing to him. And he's uh, maybe getting the loneliness of the long distance runner here's Paul coming to the end of his course and it seems that Timothy is kind of faltering and he tells him, chapter 1 verse 6 stir up, or the Greek really means to rekindle the gift of God which is in you and he keeps telling him uh, directly and I think indirectly to get a grip and to have a spiritual revival and in that sense Paul's words to Timothy are exactly what we need to hear because a lot of us are basically in that same situation possibly raised in the faith as uh, Timothy was you know chapter 1 says that his grand grandmother even was a believer uh, as well as his mother and he, uh, he had been involved with Paul, he had been active and now it seems that Paul is uh, sort of in limited uh, confinement there in, uh, in, in Rome that Timothy is starting to falter a bit. And so he's trying to find every reason he can, every way of putting it that he can to try to strengthen Timothy. And he says, therefore, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, <clears throat> there you've got two of Paul's uh, classic ideas, grace and being in Christ. And the fact that we were baptized into Christ means that we are counted as if we are him. And that counting as if we are Christ, when in fact we are sinners, that is absolute grace. And that should strengthen us. We should be strengthened by that. But of course, you are strengthened by it insofar as you believe it insofar as you perceive it, insofar as you feel it, that I, as a sinner, am really counted righteous, that I really will be in God's kingdom, that if the Lord comes now, I know for sure that by his, his, <clears throat> his grace I will live forever, and I will be accepted in the day of judgment. And so he seems to be saying to Timothy in this verse and uh, elsewhere, allow God to do his work in you. And God wants to strengthen you by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that is connected with that status which we have of being in Christ. And so he, uh, he, he has said that earlier in, uh, in, in chapter 1, when he says in verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto you, 
guard through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. So it's as if the Holy Spirit is there in us, this power of holiness, and yet you've still got to do something, you've still got to make some conscious election to, as it were, use it, to, as it were, realize it. Then verse 7 of chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but a spirit of, the spirit of, a power, love, and a disciplined mind. So God is willing to do things, as we said in our study on chapter 1, he's willing to do things within the human heart, within the human mind. As Paul says in Galatians, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there is something that God does to human minds, and the spirit is involved in that. But it doesn't mean that there is a bolt of spirit out of the blue, out of outer space, out of the cosmos, that will make you and I spiritual, as it were, against our own volition, against our own will. There has to be some element of volition, some element of conscious choice in us to use uh, that potential which God has made possible. And you've got this idea, it's put in different words, but it's here, there, in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let it happen. And this idea of being strengthened, letting God strengthen you, you've got it in quite a few places. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 10, got the uh, same word there. Finally, brethren, be, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let yourself be strengthened. Uh, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things in him that strengthens me. The fact that we are in Christ, as I say, by baptism into Christ, by living in what I would call the, uh, the sphere of Christ, in, in that uh, status, in that uh, world that centers around him, I can do all things because I'm in him that strengthens me. And you've got it again in uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 34 where again we have this idea of us being strengthened. Hebrews 11.34, that by faith people quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword from weakness, were strengthened. The AV says waxed mighty in fight, or waxed valiant in fight, but you, you could say they were made mighty in war. So then, <clears throat> out of weakness, people were strengthened, by their faith. So it's not that people strengthen themselves by their own uh, sort of steel will. You know, make yourself strong. I must believe, I must believe. But by believing in, <clears throat> by faith in, as Paul puts it elsewhere, faith in the operation of God. So then there is this potential spiritual process that's going on, <clears throat> whereby we can be strengthened. If we, if we allow that, if that's what we want. And yet this is not to say that we are just going to sort of get this spiritual strength uh, painlessly and with, with no effort or volition, as I would put it, on our part. Um, like verse 5 of this chapter, 2 Timothy 2 verse 5. If a man <clears throat> contend in the games, he is not crowned, he doesn't get the laurel, unless he has contended lawfully. He's maybe hitting at a, a tendency, which there is in all of us, and maybe there was in Timothy, to think that there was some kind of shortcut. 
rather like the man who builds his house and gets on and does it very nicely, uh, and yet he builds on sand. He builds, he makes progress, apparently, but not on the basis of really cutting into the rock and actually doing and realizing in practice what God's word really requires of us. But insofar as we make those moves towards God, he will move toward us. Got it again, really, in verse 7 of this chapter. Consider what I say. In other words, there's your bit of effort. Consider what I say, and the Lord shall give you understanding. So you consider. Yeah, you don't just let these words flow off, you, off your back, as it were, like water. Uh, consider. Take it seriously. Engage with them. And the Lord shall give you understanding. In fact, uh, the Avi says, consider what I say, for the Lord shall give you understanding. Do consider, do engage with these things, because, for, the Lord will give you understanding. So then he will confirm us in our, in our efforts to do that. And in the same way as that works on a kind of a, a pretty personal level, that the effort that we make is, as it were, uh, confirmed by God. It is also true that the effort that we make for others can also have some level of uh, impact on their spiritual lives, which would not otherwise be if we had not made that effort. And I think keeping on trying to steal ourselves to be the more spiritual, as it were, just in isolation on our own, uh, we are so dysfunctional as human beings that we often ultimately lack the functionality and the motivation to actually say, yes, this is what I want to do, this is how I will be because I want to be more spiritual. Whereas if we throw ourselves into serving others, I don't mean to the exclusion of ourselves or sort of uh, using the service of others to kind of eclipse our own uh, personal responsibility and relationship with the Lord, not at all. But if we throw ourselves into the service of others, I think that that is one way in which victory is uh, assured. Now look at verse 10. I endure all things for the elect's sake, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. You sort of expect him to say, I endure all things now, so that I may obtain salvation. But he puts it another way, I endure suffering now, <clears throat> so that others may obtain salvation. Now, the idea of enduring, enduring suffering, this definitely connects with the idea of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Hebrews 12, verse 2, same word, Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews 12, verse 3, he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself on the cross. And Hebrews 12, 7 goes on to say, if you endure chastening. So, his endurance there is to be related to our endurance. And so, if you see what I'm saying, his cross becomes ours. And it's the same idea here in uh, 2 Timothy 2, that we endure all things for the sake of others, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ. Now, the motivation, therefore, for endurance, for hanging in there, is for others' sake. And I think that this is one reason, one window anyway, 
uh, onto the whole question as to how it how it was that Jesus pulled it off, that he managed to be perfect, that he didn't sin. I mean, if he had locked himself up in a room and got Mary Magdalene and Martha to bring him uh, bring him food and drink just as he needed, and he sat there with the scrolls and uh, just kept trying to be spiritual, as uh, maybe we might have uh, thought that that's the best way to achieve perfection, uh, it wouldn't have worked. It was by going out there into society and getting uh, tempted to lose your temper, tempted to be impatient, all the rest of it, uh, because of tiredness because of human needs continually being pressed upon you in your face all those things that we might consider sort of exposing ourselves to temptation and to provocation in fact it was those things and his uh, dealing with those things which actually led him to ultimate perfection and so on a far lower level it is with us that our achievement as it were of personal spirituality is I think uh, we get there by serving others and you see really this with the whole of 2 Timothy that here's Paul about to die with all the emotions and all the uh, worry and etc and pain in many ways of a man who lived the sort of life that he did coming to the end of it um, and realizing that now this is it, my number has finally come up. And what does he do? He writes a letter to someone who's going through, a, as I see it, a midlife crisis. That's what I think Timothy was going through, to try to strengthen him from his own example. Now, Paul says here that he endures all things for the elect's sake, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Now, obtain. They are going to obtain that salvation. And it's the same word in the Hebrews 11.35 that believers obtain a resurrection. In Luke 20, verse 35, those that will be counted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead. But the point is that they are obtaining of it, of that salvation. According to what Paul writes here, is partially and of course only partially due to people like Paul enduring all things for them you could say no we obtain God's kingdom purely by the work of Jesus and in one sense that of course is, is the case in, in terms of the actual uh, achievement of it and yet he has delegated his work including his work of salvation to us to his body and uh, I personally think that's uh, sorry to ramble a bit off the theme but uh, I personally think that is one reason why all the world has not heard the gospel we tend to throw that back on God and say well you know why, why do you do it why, why didn't, it didn't everyone hear well you know one answer could be well because the body of Christ did not one by one bit by bit spread the message as they should have done now that's not you know, these are not complete answers uh, there's a whole question about babies dying and uh, mentally retarded people and, and the rest of it um, uh, to which I have no particular answer but uh, what, what I'm saying is that we have uh, some ability to influence the salvation of others we may be uh, just one aspect of the algorithm if we can use that metaphor but all the same we are that aspect of the algorithm 
And in the same way as we play a part in the salvation of others, and Paul sees that he did this, I mean, he says to the Corinthians, so we preach and so you believed, uh, so negatively we can also cause people to stumble. When you think of it, that also means that the... uh, the sort of the equation or the algorithm of salvation is not so simple that Jesus died on the cross God told you or informed you about it somehow and it's up to you whether you respond to it there is this other element of the functioning of the body of Christ whether they tell you about that message whether they uh, strengthen you in in your response to that message uh, and whether they negatively make you stumble Now you see this uh, here in chapter 2 verse 14. He says, charge people in the sight of the Lord. Like, be serious about this and tell them, look, this conversation is happening in the very presence, judgment presence of the Lord. uh, That they strive not about words to no profit, but to the, the AV says, to the subverting of the hearers. And that Greek word translated there in the AV, subversion, it's the Greek word katastrophe. Catastrophe, catastrophe, the spiritual catastrophe of the listeners. And this is what happens time again, isn't it? That a group of brethren end up in a dispute over words. And in the community that I came from, the dispute was always over the atonement, uh, how to uh, quite understand how God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Uh, the exact nature of the Lord Jesus, the exact uh, relationship between him uh, and his own death on the cross. And all this produced was a huge strife of words, and no particular side ever came out victorious. And yet what it did do, the strife turned so many people away, not just from the community, but from the Lord Jesus himself. And those who engage, therefore, as he says, in strife about words are causing catastrophe to those who hear, to the onlookers. You've got the same in verse uh, verse 18. He says that uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus uh, concerning the truth of earth, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So it is possible to make someone stumble from the weight of the kingdom, to overthrow their faith. Again, verse 23, avoid foolish and ignorant questions, knowing that they gender strife, and the Lord's servant must not strive, but be gentle. If you get involved in endless disputing and uh, questions of this nature, you're going to end up uh, developing strifes, and those who get involved in those strifes are not the Lord's servant anymore. So, positively and negatively, we play some element in the salvation of others. Now, not only must we avoid, therefore, doing those things which cause others to stumble, but more positively realize that we really can make a difference by strengthening, by encouraging others, by ministering God's word to them, um, by preaching the gospel to, to the unbelievers, by encouraging those who have believed maybe those who believe for many years but are disillusioned with it all like I think Timothy was um, we really can make this huge difference 
And he, he talks there about how we are to, uh, to use God's word properly. Not strifes which uh, don't profit people, not endless disputing, etc. But he says, verse 15, Give diligence to show yourself as approved by God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, uh, handling aright the word of truth. Now, I just would like to pass a few comments here because generations of Bible students have uh, just been misled by a poor translation. Uh, the AV says, study to show yourself approved unto God. And the idea is that a guy's got to sit there with a, a long, uh, a tall rather, pile of uh, books on his desk and read each of them, study, 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 and you will eventually win God's approval by the amount you study. And that is wrong. It's an unfortunate translation. Study is just a, it's a word that's changed its meaning um, in, in English. The idea is be ambitious, <clears throat> be diligent. And when it says to, to show yourself approved unto God, it can't possibly mean, well, I have done all these things. There you are. I am before you, God. I am approved. No, I think what he's saying is that, and again, this is a nuance of translation, be diligent, be ambitious, be hardworking, um, to, as it were, show that you are one of those approved by God. So because you have been approved by God, which is by grace, therefore you are to live a life of spiritually caring for others in response to that approval which you have received. Now the idea of approval before God, I mean this is right out of Romans 1-8 to where Paul uses this metaphor of judgment, that we are in the dock before God, we are obviously condemned, um, seriously condemned, but then we are in Christ. And because we are in him, we are counted as him, we are declared right or justified in a, in a legal sense. We're not just let off by a soft-hearted judge. We are declared right. We are justified because all that is true of Jesus is true of us. And that's why he ends the section by rejoicing and marveling. But who is he that condemns? Where are our witnesses? Again, the witnesses against us. They cleared off. The, the witness box is empty. The uh, uh, prosecutor, where is he? The prosecutor's not around. And it turns out that the judge is actually our advocate, our counsel for the defence, and he's actually our friend, and he declares us legally right, and there is much rejoicing. So that approval is given by grace. And this, of course, what Paul's point is, that it's by grace and not by our works. So he's not contradicting that here. He's saying that because we have been approved by God, or in God's eyes, in his opinion, unto God, uh, we are therefore to be diligent to show ourselves, to, to act ourselves in an appropriate manner. And to, uh, as he says, to uh, shun profane and vain babblings, but to use God's word positively to build up others. This is our response to that grace. And uh, he goes on to say that the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now, <clears throat> that's in uh, verse 24, and he's quoting there, 
He's quoting there from uh, Isaiah 42 verse 2, which talks about how the servant, it's from one of the servant songs, that the servant, that is the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> will not strive, nor lift up his voice in the street in a proud argument. And that's, of course, quoted in Matthew 12:19 about the preaching style of Jesus himself. And Paul goes on here, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, meekly instructing those who contradict themselves. And that's all a pen picture, really, of the Lord Jesus preaching to people in Galilee. When he says, for example, apt to teach, he surely has in mind Mark 10 verse 1, that Jesus taught the people as he was wont, as he was apt to, as he was accustomed to. So, we are Jesus to this world, and all the prophecies about Jesus and his preaching, and all the historical accounts of his preaching in the Gospels, are a prototype and a pattern for each one of us who are in him. Because if we are in him, then all that is true of him becomes true of us. And this, I think, is particularly true in his preaching. This is why Paul justifies his own mission uh, by saying that the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles. And yet, that's quoting from, again, one of the servant songs, which is talking about the Lord Jesus personally, that he has been set as a light to the Gentiles. And yet Paul says, but Jesus commanded us, me, he's saying, saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles. Therefore, Paul says, I have to preach to the Gentiles because, he's saying, there's a description in the, in the prophets of Jesus uh, as the Lord's servant preaching to the Gentiles. So that is a command, that is an imperative to me. And so you will find in your desire to witness, it may be in such a pathetic little way in human terms, for starters, it may be in very small ways, but God will work with you. I remember as a teenager, uh, my first faltering little steps in personal witness in that sense, and, and it was to, uh, before the days of computers and, and stuff, uh, this, these were the days of uh, typewriters, and I typed out a little leaflet, a little uh, flyer, a little tract, and photocopiers were in by then, <clears throat> and uh, I forget what they used to call them, photostat, photostatic reproduction it was called, and uh, for whatever it was, five pence I think a run, you could uh, print, you could photocopy effectively these, uh, these uh, tracts, and I cut them up with scissors and I just left them around uh, the place, left them on the bus and uh, on the uh, on the, the underground uh, trains uh, and uh, wherever I was and I had put my address on and said you know write to me and every now and again I, someone would write to me and uh, or send the form back with a footprint on it or something like that and I remember those first faltering steps that I took and the Lord Jesus was so with me and you will find this at whatever stage in life you are at that if you really seriously in practice, and it should, talk is very cheap, uh, but you actually get down to trying to share him with other people, 
you will feel his presence with you in a, a, a way that I cannot explain in words. And, you know, he is our representative there in heaven, and we are his representative here on this earth. And so, Paul is trying to encourage Timothy here, that, you know, get a life, get a grip, flee youthful lusts, he says, and 22, maybe alluding to Joseph running away from Potiphar, may have sexual, um, uh, something sexual in mind there, or he, he may just be saying, look, you're now in middle age, Timothy, don't act like a kid, and that is an exhortation that's really needed in this day and age in which, uh, in which we live when it seems to me people are increasingly immature where they are acting like teenagers in their in their 50s and 60s and the rest of it. I, I, really, do, I really do think that's the case um, and he's saying to Timothy you know, rekindle yourself as he says in chapter 1 there's a huge spiritual potential God has given you his spirit now you've got to realise it you've got to act on it um, and you are Jesus in this world and be strengthened verse 1 we started with let the process happen to you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ